Welcome everyone to Inspiration and Adaptation, an ongoing conversation produced by Vanilla Street Art Center to explore how creatives are adapting in these times. Vanel is situated within the tribal lands of Mitchilthana, the Niltric village tribe, whose descendants trace their roots from the ancient Ketchumak people, the Dene'ina and Sufiak people of this region, who sustain these lands since time immemorial. I'm Asia Freeman, Artistic Director of Vanel Street Art Center, and today I'm speaking with Simonetta Nignano, owner and operator of Busy in Anchorage, and artist Paulus Mickey, Susan Scher, and Ben Huff, about their art and the mission of this gallery and bookstore and home of the School of Non-Functional Studies situated in Anchorage. Welcome to you all. Thank you. I'm really pleased that you could take time to join us. So this is a contemporary art space, I understand, founded in 2017 in Alaska on, on the traditional lands of the Dene'ina. And um, Davy's been presenting exhibits featuring the work of local and international artists. Simonetta, I would love for you to tell us a bit about how you came to um, be in Anchorage, because I understand you're originally from Italy, and um, how you basically chose the location and the vision, how you built this vision for Bibi. Hi, Aja. Thank you for the invitation. And thank you, Ben, Susan, and Hollis for being here. Um, yeah, I was born and raised in Italy, and I moved to Alaska in 2016 um, because my partner is from Alaska. And after um, a while um, in Italy, we decided to uh, settle here. And uh, I'm an artist and curator, and I mostly work in participatory practices using various mediums. And um, yeah, uh, when I came to Anchorage, I, I don't know, I felt like it was kind of like a bold, bold sort of spontaneous uh, decision. Uh, you know, just the thought of opening an art gallery, uh, if I rationalize it, seems crazy to me. So I, I feel like uh, it was rather spontaneous in many ways. Obviously, there is a, a vision that has been informed uh, by my experiences and my uh, practice. Um, yeah, and uh, that's how I came to Anchorage. Wow, that's fascinating. It, I mean, we don't, you know, hear too often of an artist curator moving from, from Italy, and that's fascinating. Could you just tell us a, a little bit about um, your artistic practice and curatorial practice before you started it in Anchorage, just to give us some background? Yeah, um, I've been part of this art collective and publishing house called the Industria, which has a long history of um, working with uh, participatory practices, social engaged art, and other um, engaged process. Uh, and uh, so kind of my my main school for 10 years was that and as a member as a person that was working there and then i worked at contemporary galleries in rome um kind of more white cube sort of situations and so that was another piece um it's a i think that uh the idea of bb was going very much hand in hand with this idea of uh 
wanting to build a place that is uh, based on purpose and process, uh, very process oriented. And um, yeah, I'm not really good at talking about myself, but I could talk about Bivi better, I think. Absolutely. I, I mean, it, even in a name, you know, like when, when I think of a Bivi, of course, I, I just think <laughs> of this really small, temporary outdoor structure, like when you're bivouacking and you're, you know, you're on an expedition. So um, I'm curious about the name and the location and that identity that you're building with that title. That's right. In fact, you might be the first person that mentioned that. I, I think that uh, you're, you're, yeah, you're correct. Uh, we had this little bivouac sack and uh, we thought, oh, that's a funny and cute when you say bivy and just went for it. And uh, I think uh, without putting too much weight on the name, uh, but I think that when you be walking, there is a sense of process of a rather situationistic, but you know, but also um, uh, of connection. And uh, yeah. yeah, I love that. I mean, and I also really like that in a way you didn't obligate yourself to some kind of permanence and that you engaged like the idea of an excursion or an experiment, which I think is at the heart of a really vital, you know, artistic and curatorial practice. And so, you know, I just, I just love that name. I think it's fantastic. Tell, tell us a little bit about the, the location itself and how you came to be in the specific space that you are and describe it if you would. Yeah. So we're at, on G Street, downtown Anchorage, and uh, it's a fairly small space. Um, and in a building that, uh, at least from the inside, it looks very much like an East Coast uh, place to me because it has uh, kind of tall windows and has hardwood floor, has a different vibe uh, than many places that I've seen here. And, you know, I, I was looking for a place and I wanted a place that quite frankly was inexpensive and small. And when I saw it, I think it's 700 square feet or something. And when I saw it, it was giant. Well, my, you know, what I was looking for. So I felt like it was very big, but then, um, yeah, I bumped into this space and I really liked it and um, cleaned it up for about two or three months, a rather long time. And then, we, we opened. And how did you, um, did you have a mission when you opened? Did you, did you set out with a specific um, intent for the type of work or the artist that you would? Yeah, this is a good question. I think that, um, I think our direction would be is to juxtapose uh, conceptual art and craft through exhibitions, performances, and other participatory practices. Obviously, this uh, vision, this mission, it became clearer with time. The more you do things, the more you just kind of like understand that that's what you, your voice of, in a kind of uh, enlarged sense. And um, so I think I wasn't necessarily there there when I opened, but like I had kind of that feeling. Um, and, I, and, you know, I've been to Alaska before moving to Alaska and, I've, you know, checked out places and kind of gathered like a very superficial sense, if you will, for the art scene here. But um, I noticed that there was a lot of craft uh, in, 
museums and galleries and and I wasn't necessarily used to see uh, that much craft in uh, ex exhibited and um, in fact I was thought that would have been outlandish in a white cube situation to put something like that and that's why I wanted to do it because I thought it was just uh, counter um, uh, this isn't the right term counterproductive but but like to not have that amazing craft and conceptual work together in a dialogical uh, process because i think it brings together also perhaps different people and to the conversation the, obviously the conversation happens through the art of the artists but based on what kind of things you do you have different people coming in the space and i think that um at least my experiences in europe like th there there wasn't a lot of that if if not none places that would place together conceptual work with craft yeah and i'm really excited to to talk with each of these artists, Alice, Susan, and Ben, about how they fit into that um, juxtaposition that you described. But could you just um, take a moment to sort of um, define or elucidate what you're thinking of as craft versus concept in this context? Well, that is a huge question, which I'm not sure that we have time to unfold. And I'm not sure that I, and in fact, I'm sure that I do not have like a full answer to it. Uh, but, uh, well, craft is a lot of things. Uh, I think that what we're, what we're putting on show at Bivi is intentional craft, so to speak, meaning that um, if tomorrow I, you know, make some pottery in my house, likely they're not going to go at Bivi. But like if a person, an artist, with intention, go and produce something and make something that is more craft oriented. So it's more uh, not necessarily so rooted in the idea like conceptual art. So the execution is important, the mastery is important. Well, that, that, that's craft, but like it's, there can be so many things. And I think we have artists here, many, uh, Hollis and Susan and Ben that can help inform this answer, but, um, yeah, definitely interested in that conversation. Um, Great. Well, let's see if we can sort of tease that out in the context of like looking inside Busy. And I know you've prepared some images which you'll describe yeah. for us too, but if you'd like to, to share some and then we can maybe um, totally. dive in, that'd be wonderful. As we said, um, we opened in 2017 and we had a fair amount of shows. Actually it was 2020, during this talk, um, we had time to reflect and think back and say, oh, we, it was perhaps good that we didn't get going for a while. It was just re-corral, regather re ourselves. But anyways, yeah, we, um, we had exhibitions like showing the work of artists from Alaska or based in Alaska and uh, international artists, for instance, local artists, we had a show about um, uh, long uh, in labor intensive work of Jimmy Jordan, uh, where he uh, printed uh, the, this book um, and 
it's a, called the Roman du Lièvre, and um, it's been this overarching project of his, and he's a um, known artist in Alaska. And uh, yeah, and so this show had all these lead balls laying on the ground at BV. So that I think that in some ways was uh, a show about participation. Is Jimmy is not stranger to participatory art processes, but also about craft. Um, then, for example, we can look at a show uh, with an Italian artist, Ionian Archaeological Archives was the name of the show, and is a emerging Italian artist. And um, the way he, um, he works, he works a lot with like. Um, materials that and ideas that uh, are rooted in his um, history is a Sicilian and so we treated the space as, as if it was a um, new archaeological art site and uh, uh, as you can see there is a photograph here that shows a bunch of uh, uh, ceramic uh, sort of fish skins and shells and things like that hanging on these slender uh, support systems and um, so that is definitely like a work that uh, body of work that yes is based on an idea but it's uh, heavily um, involving you know a process that it relates to being able to uh, work with ceramics proceeding, trying to proceed at, um, at a better speed. But we recently, last year, uh, was we had this show with this uh, artist, a constructed world, or well-known artists working in participatory art processes, mostly engaging with performers and non-performers with a lot of people in their body of work. And they're interested in the uh, theme of not knowing and what we can do all together, not knowing and what we can do with that in the room. And uh, so this show called Using Feelings to Get Rid of Feelings that we had basically uh, installed last year for the entire year uh, because of COVID, obviously. Um, it was this really interesting participatory uh, installation that, that uh, and a performance that uh, involved the participation of local performers and non-performers. So these artists that are originally from Astero came here and in the, over the course of two weeks worked with us and local performers to put together uh, a performance. And um, yeah, then we had like, uh, we often have uh, group exhibitions as well. Um, for instance, the one we're looking at is called Snow Days and had Michael Conti, John Coyne, Steven Saizuski, and these are and Hema Schaeffer, these are all Alaska based, and then Philippe Tronier and Rebecca Tollens, he's uh, Swiss and she's Swedish. And this show is about uh, winter sports and it was really a mix of uh, different outlook at winter sports. But again, thinking about, uh, you know, some art were, was more craft, he craft heavy, so quote unquote, and some other was more uh, conceptual. Um, again, as I said at, at the beginning, we do a lot of 
shows that at least we try to uh, have a social engagement component. And this one was a show that we had in the summer of 2019. It's called To Each His Own. And it was about personal collection, memorabilia, inheritance. And many people uh, were so... Uh, interested in the show and we got uh, to show their personal collection. For instance, here we're looking at a rather, uh, I don't know, surreal image of a, a collection of screens of Donna Carr um, that we kind of put in the space one behind the other all stashed and really, really, um, really amazing. The Alaska Botanical Garden gave us their collection of um, slides of perennials. Um, we had various collections for anonymous people. We did a conversation, we, had, we hosted a conversation about personal collections and we still keep uploading this personal collection on our website. So again, if we look at the mission, this is one of these projects that are more aimed in uh, social engagement. We're looking at an image here of uh, the show of last year that I briefly mentioned before, um, using feelings to get rid of feelings and Hobbes opera was one part of the other part of that exhibition, which involved participation of performers and non-performers. So you see here in the photo, like a guitar that has seven. Okay, I'm missing the word in English for this part of the guitar. The, the neck. The, exactly seven necks yeah. and um and you see like queen christopherson and, and justin ferguson playing with not with non-musicians um and it was this communal endeavor of knowing and not knowing and playing and um very process oriented this is another image of a show called a note upon the mystic writing pad by emma shepherd where Visitors were invited to erase the drawings uh, that she made. And every time the drawing was completely erased, Emma would come back uh, during open hours or the weekends or nights and she would redraw the, the piece of art. Um, people really loved being able to, quote unquote, destroy the art piece. It was, uh, um, in the case of kids, it was endearing to watch. Uh, they were really mm -hmm. excited. So again, uh, participatory art projects. And then here we have, for instance, another show called Workwear. And um, it was a show about work and labor in general. And it was with uh, Holly Sneaky, Amy Meissner, Karen Lowell, Guido Seni, and Juan Sandoval. I'll leave like Hollis, I put a photograph of Hollis's performance work there, so I'll leave it to her to say a few, you know, a few words about her performance. But again, this was an example of uh, a show where there is combination of artists that work with uh, conceptual art and craft. I think in the case of Hollis, she works with both, for instance. Uh, but um, yeah, so you see like a um, series of aprons that Holly should talk more about because they're <laughs> really tied to her art process and 
for instance, uh, we're seeing an installation of a art piece called Demandful Laziness, five-year plan, where the artist is delegating part of his art process, his artwork, to an AI machine that he educated so he can take, as you can see in the screen, a rest, a nap for five years which is also very interesting to bring this uh, kind of conversation because I think one overarching thing that we're interested uh, in, and it's definitely a foundation also of the School of Non-Functional studies, studies, is resisting to the sort of extent that we can capitalist structures and uh, uh, oppressive systems. And when we talk about the the School of Functional Studies always, and I can tell you more about it. But Hollis, would you like to say something about this performance that you did? Sure, I can be really brief, just um, a sensitive to time, but the, yeah, the aprons are, I, I wear an apron for every major project. Um, so those aprons represent my work uh, from 2010 or so forward. Um, and they're the same brand of apron um, that I've been able to acquire over time. So they sort of uh, hold the residue of the labor of um, the major projects and performances that I create. Um, and then the performance for the show, Work Wear, I used a set of um, sort of uh, manuals, uh, management for dummies, um, things like that. Uh, and invited participants kind of like a tarot deck to select a page at random, um, present a work question that they had that they were thinking about, about their work life. Um, and then I created a redacted poem um, for them from that page and then read that poem aloud um in this microphone setup which you can see and when people were not engaging with that activity um, i was following uh workout videos um in high heels in the small uh sort of niche space that bivy has as some delightful architectural character thank you Alice. um yeah um then um again other example of exhibits that we had, uh, this was with, uh, this, with an Israeli artist, Alana Rode, and uh, the show was called I Wear My Sunglasses at Night and featured uh, a series of canvases uh, with, um, made with high visibility materials. And there was a system of uh, LED lights powered with an Arduino uh, that would uh, uh, light them and so there was this kind of magical but also club-like atmosphere so the lights are going through some sort of timed intervals these led lights that kind of change the sort of personality of the space yes exactly it was just because these canvases are made with high visibility materials and so therefore they're not necessarily that super bright at all times, but like depends with the kind of light that they have, as you see them. And so this Arduino was programmed to make, to make the light uh, go on and off at a certain um, rhythm. Mm -hmm. And uh, it would create an atmosphere where the canvases were uh, bright and 
this is for instance an artist that is very interested is a conceptual artist but like she um then works a lot with materials and in particular with high visibility material um, um yeah i don't know if i'm proceeding too fast asia or like uh, or like uh, how things are going and usually i can be a little um tricky with visuals but like also audio just let me know if there's yeah anything it, it, it's good yeah let's let's take about um maybe about five more minutes to look at the, yeah. the, the main slides here so. yeah okay so i'm just gonna just briefly say that we in occasional shows often produce uh, a release or the artist releases uh, ephemera or little publications or posters and things like that um, here we're looking at an image of the bookstore very tiny bookstore that we have where we feature uh, publications of um, uh, different kinds, mostly artist books and uh, zines, but local artists uh, and international artists. And you can see that there is this wallpaper, which is the, in fact, probably the real amusement, the real sensation of the gallery, because I many, many people came in just to look at the wallpaper because it's from the 40s or the 30s or something like that. And, uh, and uh, people really loved it. So um yeah i love so how you've used it you you kind of employed <laughs> it as a backdrop throughout your exactly. presentation i'm sure some people were wondering why in the heck does she have this really like florid old looking <laughs> yeah but, but but i love that as a framing device for your whole talk so you're saying that draws people in yeah i mean there was like a mention on the idea at one point that was just focusing basically on the wallpaper mm -hmm. and uh, so people were like just passing by the main exhibition page and just go and look at the wallpaper. I love that kind of, kind of approach to, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, so I think there's, um, I just want to make sure that the artists have time to share their work. So we, we, do you want to talk yeah. the, to the, the school at the end maybe, or, and just, or. That's a good idea. I like that. Yeah. Let's, let's do that. We'll come back to the school of yeah. non-functional studies. And at this point, just pick up, yeah. Um, Hollis in particular, kind of dive a little bit more in, if you will. And Hollis, I, you know, I just want to acknowledge by way of introduction that so you, you, you're an artist who came here from from um, the Eastern Seabird, right? Mm -hmm. And and you came to work in in art education at the Anchorage Museum. And um, tell us, I just to sort of orient us. Um, you know, I know we're going to dive into particular works that you've done at Vivi, but I'd love for you to just just begin by telling us what kind of space you you have been looking for or sought when you found Vivi as a place to share your work. Sure. Um, well, that's a that's a great question. So I moved to Alaska in 2016, um, and I've been living in Rhode Island. So I was living in Providence. I was working at the Rhode Island School of Design Museum. Um, and so 
for those of you who might know, the Rhode Island School of Design, you know, is quite uh, a hotbed for um, artists. The faculty are really um, dynamic, and and so there are there are a lot of spaces to show experimental work, um, conceptual work in Rhode Island. Um, there's just a lot of spaces because there are a lot of artists who are eager to show and share their work. Um, and there is an established kind of economy and set of um, expectations around that. So when I came to Alaska, um, I was very excited to learn about a new artistic community and think about different economies and ways of being um, that were really different from, you know, what it means to have a, a gallery right next to the top art and design school in the nation, right? And to think about what does it mean to be really place-based and um, think a lot about the communities that are here that are accessing work. So I don't know that I came to Alaska with expectations of what it would be like or what kind of space I would be showing in, but I knew I wanted to show. It's a big part of who I am as a person. Um, so for me, um, it was really exciting to uh, get connected with Simonetta at the early stages of Bivy and, and, and get to kind of see that space emerge and become um, a place where I think lots of different, as uh, Simonetta was describing, lots of different kinds of ways of making and being um, creative can converge. And so that was really exciting for me about what Bivy can offer. Um, and I, I'll just say Simonetta has been really supportive and showing work and helping think through, you know, maybe more conceptual ideas and how to present them. So I think that's always really wonderful um, as an artist to be supported by the gallery that you're working with to just kind of uh, be able to bounce an idea off or, or consider um, a problem uh, closely. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. Great. Thank you so much for that little bit of orientation to where you're yeah. coming from. And let's look at some images of work that you project that I thought I'd highlight um, at Bivu is just, uh, I've had the opportunity to, to share my work in a couple of different ways and moments there, um, but I, I wanted to just highlight one particular um, exhibition that I had um, that, that I think kind of is emblematic both of my practice, but maybe also the kind of ways in which Vivi uh, can hold a multiplicity of ideas and, and ways of making as an artist. Um, so this exhibition, Rabbits Do Not Know What They Are, um, was based on my own childhood recollection of a poster that I had in my bedroom um, that actually takes a quote from a Jack Spicer poem. This is a footnote um, in the poem, Rabbits Do Not Know What They Are, as part of that footnote. Um, and it's on this poster and I um, uh, created a body of white on white embroidery work. Um, so it's harder to read in these images because it's white thread on a white linen or cotton. Um, and uh, these kinds of ghost-like embroideries investigate these ideas of childhood recollection, uh, but also thinking a lot about um, you know, rabbits and ghosts and our histories and how we carry both these kinds of uh, the nostalgia, the um, kind of of a pet rabbit, which I did have growing up, um, and and also how those transform and, and have their own mortalities as well. So um, 
the exhibition included things like this really large um, tablecloth. We can just probably paste through to the next slide, Samantha. Um, for the opening, I did a performance because for me, when I embroider or create installation or sculpture, um, it's always in dialogue with my work, uh, kind of embodied work uh, as an artist. And so um, for the opening, I played harmonium um, and there were some vocalizations that were a part of that. Um, we can move forward. Um, and I also invited the audience to perform for themselves if they wanted to. Um, so there was a large uh, kind of sculptural ghost that I'd made um, out of a paper mache. Uh, and it, uh, I invited audience members, I think there might be a couple of slides of this, we can move to the next one too, um, to put on a rabbit mask themselves and take this clear rosin baton and hit at this sculpture. Um, and then inside um, were hundreds of rabbit's feet. Um, you can also see rabbit's feet hanging from the ceiling. Those are um, real rabbit's feet that were harvested by um, a meat, or a woman harvesting um, rabbits for meat in Montana, and uh, and a way for her to have a. Um, output for those feet. She had to collect. I was looking for white feet, and so there are certain rabbits that, um, you know, certain percentage of her rabbits that were white. So it took a little bit of time for those to accrue in in relationship to her harvest practice. Um, and then uh, you can see there were both large and small scale embroideries. Some on um, inherited tablecloths and inherited linens, as well as rosin hand sculptures that were in the shape of kind of like a shadow puppet rabbit that were cast direct castings of my own hand. Um, and then those the rabbit's feet as they burst out of the the sculptural piece were available for visitors to take home as a memento um, from their experience in the show. Um, you can move to the next slide. That's fine, Simonetta. And for the um, at the conclusion of the show, um, I developed a 45-minute performance piece um, that was exploring this idea of these kinds of sheet-like objects uh, called how to fold a fitted sheet. I don't know if you all are experts at folding fitted sheets, but um, I know that it can always be it can be a struggle. Um, and it was a, a skill that my or it is a skill that my mother is uh, is quite adept at um, caring for linens. She's a, a textile artist. Um, as well, and I grew up on a sheep farm. Um, so thinking about uh, fibers and caring for uh, textiles was really a big part of my childhood. Uh, so I was exploring this idea of kind of inside and outside and uh, the, the process of um, returning to, I could see this poster from my bed um, as a child, so returning to um, thinking about um, those, that kind of childhood space um, and then the kind of ghosts that we carry from those times, both beautiful and terrible, and um, using the kind of sheet as a metaphor. So I did a, a performance that involved um, music and folding the sheet, um, and yeah, it's fine to move forward. Um, and then I worked with Flag Day Recordings, which is a, a record label. Um, they reached out to me during the run of this show, not knowing about the show, um, they're on the East Coast and were interested in um, releasing a record with me at that time, um, or an album with me in this time at the time. So produced a cassette um, along with um, a blind embossed book, which uh, looks completely white here, but um, has a rabbit's foot in embossed on it um, by Joe and Donna Carr. Um, and the uh, drawing of the the hung rabbit is by Becca Olson. Um, 
who is a wonderful artist in our community as well. Um, and so I was able to release this uh, tape through Flag Day um, and and generate, uh, you know, this kind of lasting uh, piece of uh, a book, right? And a publication. And I think that's a big part of Bibi's um, kind of impetus is also thinking about um, how the experiences of artists in that space can be remembered and shared beyond the moment of their showing. And, um, and I think the kind of print, printed matter that Bibi creates is a really unique part of that gallery, um, especially in our community and kind of contributing to a library of, of uh, what Alaskan artists are creating. Um, and I think that might be it on my slides. And, or maybe there's one more, but we can we can certainly stop there. Yeah, it's just a close up of the the chapbook and then the cassette. Um, yeah, and we won't. I think we won't worry about sound just because we've got um, lots more exciting artists to listen to. But there are uh, there is uh, you know you can listen online um, on my Bandcamp page or on Flag Day recordings, um, and you can purchase the cassette from from them. Thank you, Hollis. Would you paste in the link to for folks to be able yeah, to follow up and listen in the chat? Yeah. That that'd be wonderful. Yeah. That's a, a lovely presentation and such an interesting um, body of work. I've cherished that little rabbit foot I've got from that particular installation, and I loved that in the image that you presented, where we see, you know, the 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 book, and, and it looks almost completely white. But yes, there's that that rabbit, just that ghost of that rabbit in the back of that image, just beautiful. Well, thank you so much. Let's um, we're going to come around to sort of contextualize your practice and that of the other artists as we get toward the end of this presentation. But let's move on to um Susan Share's work. Thank you, Susan. Welcome, and it's so nice to have you with us you know, here again. And I would like to ask you, um, as I did Hollis, um, what what were you seeking um, as a uniquely different exhibition, exhibition space in Anchorage in Bivy that you've been able to, um, to, to enjoy and to, um, ex, you know, expand your practice through? Tell us about that, because you're, you're an artist who moved here from New York City, after all, and that's, a, that's just about as rare as somebody moving here from, from Italy. So. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Asia, and thanks to Minetta for having me here today. Um, I was very excited to meet Simonetta. People had been telling me about Simonetta and Bibi, and um, I think we met at an exhibition I had at the International Gallery in 2018. And um, what was exciting for me about the experience of meeting Simonetta and thinking about a show there, uh, Simonetta came to my studio and um, we looked through my archive and pulled out box after box of, of work that I had. And uh, Simonetta had a really clear idea and a vision of how she wanted the exhibit to be. And she actually chose the work for the show. And it was unusual for me because it's not probably the work I would think about exhibiting, but she had such a keen eye and, and a vision about it that it was really a pleasure for me to kind of give, give that over as an artist, give it to her to really form. So I really appreciated that. Um, in that process, we looked a lot at a lot of sketchbooks of mine. 
from the 80s and other kinds of traditional books that I'd made and used as sketchbooks, um, experiments with collage, painting, um, layering, um, the idea of uh, series or sequencing images and think and the book as the physical object. So the exhibit was contained a lot of books that people flipped through. Um, she, we also exhibited a series of posters that I had done and uh, that were about doing nothing based on a, um, a play by, ugh, now I'm losing my, my thought about that. But um, so I, the exhibit was called Doing Doing and uh, the uh, series of posters said either doing nothing or doing nothing not or not doing. So it was kind of playing with those words of doing. And the other exciting part about working with Simonetta and Vivi is the uniqueness of the space and uh, the opportunity and encouragement to create a new performance, which I did in this um, little alcove that uh, Hollis mentioned. And it was such a pleasure to work in this tiny little defined space. And it was great for me, it kind of fit my body size. And so I was able to play in there and try out different things in relation to my proportions. Um, so I created a new, I think it was a five minute performance, which we repeated several times during the run of the show. And that was really great. I, I loved that uh, Simonetta had the shows more than one month. I think my show ended up being a little more than two months there. And that was wonderful because we could create programming that went with the show. So I did performances throughout the two months, um, sometimes several sequential performances since they were only five minutes. We'd have one audience and then a break and then another audience and a break. So um, it was a lot of fun. And I feel like Simonetta is just a very supportive curator who takes a keen interest and um, just the unique space and unique curator really are wonderful to have here in an anchorage. Fantastic. What a marvelous and vibrant collection of images. And it's so interesting to see, Susan, how you have as a long-term yogi incorporated that, you know, form into your, um, you know, visual vocabulary along with performance and pieces I've known for, you know, you to, to visit and reinvent for different spaces over time. Yes. Oh, and the, the last slide here is, a, a again, excited, Simonetta mentioned the floral wallpaper, which has a lot of pinks and grays and its um, parts are torn and deteriorated. And it's a, a really beautiful uh, visual. And I pulled a piece that I had that imitated those colors. And it was something that most people didn't notice when they came in that it was on the wall incorporated into that wallpaper because it blended so well. And that was really uh, tickling to me that I could camouflage a piece within that wallpaper. Fantastic. That piece looks positively ticklish. Um, let's turn now to Ben Huff, who's on the lineup here of, of artists who've shown at Bivy in the past. And Ben, I just want to welcome you and, and thank you for joining us from Juno. I know that um, you have been making ephemera and photography for some time. And I'm 
love for you to orient us to how you came to be connected with Vivi and, and in what unique way Vivi, you know, um, shapes the Alaskan landscape for, for artists today. Yeah, thanks for, thanks for having me. Um, sitting here sort of uh, listening to, to Susan and Hollis and Simonetta and sort of recalling, I think the sort of the, the beginning of, of discovering Bibi, but if, if I'm not mistaken, I think it was an article in ADN or maybe the press, um, our mutual friend Brian Adams, I believe made a portrait, a wonderful portrait of Simonetta. Um, and I remember reading the article or seeing a blurb about this new gallery and going to the website. And the thing that, the thing that struck me being an artist, a photographer, a bookmaker who bookmaking is sort of central to my practice. Um, and just seeing a, a picture of that back room at Bivy, um, and seeing, if I remember correctly, um, a book by a photographer, I adore Ron Jude, another one by Paula McCarthy, um, and seeing these really small books, artist books, some would call maybe esoteric, um, books by like Roma publications and Mac and printed matter. And I remember looking at these books on this shelf, they might even been behind Simonetta or in a, in a different picture and thinking to myself, how on earth is she, um, not how on earth, but how I was so amazed and excited that there was an outlet in Anchorage or in Alaska for these books. Um, some of these books that I have in my own collection, some I just know online publishers that I know are, are, um, you know, sort of hard to get a hold of and, and books um, either in Europe or here in the U.S. from really small publishers. And I just loved the fact that that she was um, highlighting these books and stocking these books and having a conversation about this printed matter and um, uh, ephemeral objects and books was just it, it was inspiring uh, to me being. I, I sort of felt like there was a kindred spirit that I hadn't met that was in Anchorage. Um, and I reached out to her and we started a conversation. Um, and it just so happened that I was uh, making a book of my own work in collaboration with an, an author here, um, Christy Nami Erickson, with my independent press, Ice Fog Press. And um, we started this conversation and she, you know, like Susan and Hollis said, she's um, very open and excited and was interested in doing something new. Um, and that started our, our sort of relationship and, and the, the work that we're looking at here, Leighton Landscapes that I showed there uh, in 2018. Yeah, so moving forward with these, with these images, um, let's, let's go to the next image and tell us a little bit about this, this body of work and why did he just really felt like the right place to share these images yeah so the i mean the, the project is is a um it's actually i'm still making the pictures but it's a um the book i made in late 2017 2000 late, early 2018 but it's a it's a, a topographic work um a series of black and white pictures all made at night of these satellite dishes around Juno. um the term or the title latent landscapes is sort of a play on this idea of the latent image and this sort of you know, time before when the image is made to the time that we can see it either coming up in the fixer or, or you know, downloaded on the computer of a digital image. Um, and I was fascinated with this, the idea of latency within communication of the time between a signal being sent and the, and the signal being received. 
Um, each one of these pictures is made with a, an eight byte, or excuse me, a four by five large format image, and they're about four minute exposures. So I would sit in the landscape at winter at night and make these, um, these, these long exposures and sort of think about that information that, that you know, that, that may be coming through these satellite dishes and this sort of, um, uh, you know, in, invisible language or information. Um, and, and brought these images to my friend Christy here in town, uh, gave her the images and let her sit with them for a while. And then she wrote this original prose piece, which um, isn't specifically about the images. They were just her writing reaction uh, to the images. Um, and I made the, the small artist book, Latent Landscapes, that we had there at the exhibition. Um, but the the thing that drew me to that space and seeing the images and, and as a photographer and, and a photographer that largely bases in landscape and portrait work that has some sort of narrative arc to it. And I'm, I'm always wanting to print large, um, in this space, it was a nice opportunity almost to print the photographs at the same scale as they were in the book that really invite a viewer to come up and, and look closely to see, um, detail, whereas so often it's sort of about standing back and taking them in. Um, you know, this decision to print or to, to have a photograph on one side and to have uh, the Christie's text on the other side and, and frame them together is not, you know, is, is not to say that it was a risk, but it, it is it's not something you see all that often. Um, and it was something that I was a little like, oh, this might be sort of an interesting idea, but I'm not quite sure. And of course, Simonetta right out of the gate was, well, it's different. I've never seen that before. So let's, that's reason enough to try it. Um, and it was sort of experimental in that way. Um, and I don't have the opportunity or I haven't taken the opportunity, I guess, to, to show that often in Anchorage. Uh, and it was, it was a, yeah, it was a perfect venue for, uh, for the book and for, a small room, uh, sort of an intimate space for those pictures. Um, and Simonetta was was a yeah was a wonderful partner in in you know bringing bringing it together. Yeah. Thank you, Ben. That, that's wonderful and really interesting. I think that something that's coming up for me is just the value of Vivi as an intimate space to be able to connect and engage artists and audience in a way that's quite different from, say, um, a bigger space, whether it's a museum space or even a space at the scale of International Gallery or Banel. There's this intimacy that that smaller space um, offers, which kind of charges the, the experience of the work um, differently. And um, I guess so that we certainly take this opportunity once you're with having you all together and Simonetta's, um, you know, thoughtfully prepared presentation. I'd like to 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 pivot over to the School of Non-Functional Studies and and think about how these works are a part of that practice. Simonetta, thank you for sort of leading us there and um, orient us, if you would, um, to what this means. Yeah, may I say that um, for, I'm super thankful for Ben, Susan, and Hollis to be here and just like hearing them talk. Um, they're very talented people, very generous people, and you know, very grateful of Hollis' continued uh, 
collaboration with us. Susan uh, had this, you know, like even super grateful and humbled to be even able to look at her archive. And Ben has this own publishing practice that is known across the independent publishing network, which I, in fact, learned about Ben's at Printed Matter. So yeah. we have some amazing talent uh, and yes. just we're super grateful that these people are collaborating with us at BB. But yeah, um, and Hollis, I'm just gonna say a few words then, since like your co-founder, like um, School of Non-Functional Studies is um, um, open, informal and experimental school started by BV. Uh, we, Alice and I had a conversation, I remember probably in 2019 about like an idea of this sort of alternative uh, non-capitalist school uh, or to experiment and then we were able to finally uh, kick it off in 2020. And in fact, it has been perhaps, I want to say, in fact, the uh, main activity of being through 2020 and definitely through this uh, COVID period. Um, and I mean, Hollis, why don't you like, otherwise it's only me talking. Do you want to say something about our statement and our, and then maybe I can go through some of the slides. Uh, I don't want to. Sure. I, I'll just be really brief. I think, yeah. um, you know, for me, the school of non-functional studies is a like expressive artistic project as well. Um, that sort of engages with my own, uh, identity as a performance artist and thinking about kind of the performance of learning and, um, and I think the school is, is experimenting with what that can mean and be. Um, and there's a third co-founder, Alice, as well, who is in Italy. Um, I'm not yeah. sure what time it is there, um, but, um, but so, you know, I think each one of us brings our own artistic practice to thinking about this kind of collective creative project. Um, and yeah, why don't you talk about what... Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think that, I mean, I think the foundation of the school is that we, what is non-functional uh, uh, in our society today is presence, process, awareness in a capitalist society. And so we said to ourselves, like in the, in the kind of uh, making of this project that we might want to just do things just for pro the sake of doing them, process. And, there, and many of the courses and programs, we like the word programs better, I think, uh, because it, obviously the school is very rhizomatic and process oriented. Our, um, a very lighthearted and fun. And so some of the programs that we do is, for instance, we do this series of ongoing uh, readings where we read a book from the beginning to the end all together on Zoom. Um, we now have installed at BV uh, an ideal classroom space for SNS, uh, which is the acronym uh, of School of Functional Studies, where we uh, projected slides of uh, non-functional prompts of slides by artists, which Susan, in fact, gave her, give us a slide for, for this installation. Um, many different programs, like here we're looking at a, pho a photograph of a screenshot, actually, because obviously most of the programs are online um, now of uh, a program that Alice and I co-led and it was about slow food and uh, 
uh, we had sort of a meditation practice and uh, Hollis is doing this series of uh, tea services performances. I don't know if you want to say something about it, Hollis. Sure. Yeah. They're um, one-on-one, one-to-one performances. So just a performance made for one person. Um, And they uh, are around ideas of uh, sharing tea. So the recipient receives um, a special blend of tea that I've made in response to a a series of three questions that they've answered. Um, And I create a unique performance and sound work for them and perform it live if they would like on Zoom. Um, And uh, they also receive a cake or some sort of uh, recipe for making and I've been able to send them uh, both locally and then also perform for people all over um, the US. Yeah. And it's a really vibey, super vibey performances. I had the opportunity to see some of the documentation is really cool. And as I always mentioned, there's another co-founder, Alice, and she's an artist and publisher based in Italy. And uh, so there are programs in Italy too. Um, pretty much same format, obviously, and uh, lots of readings and things like that. But since we're operating a lot of in this online space, uh, it works really nicely. And often when we gather with people for programs, it's a very, um, diverse uh, Zoom room uh, of people. And here we're looking also at a photo of um, Hug Stars and Other Folds, which is an upcoming program of Susan's. You wanna say something about it, Susan? Sure. Um, On February 24th from 6 to 8 p.m. Alaska time, I'm gonna be showing how to do um, some different pleat folds, uh, how to make a flexagon, which is a paper folded that um, hides and reveals various surfaces and is a constant motion, kind of an infinite way of looking at something and um, some pop-ups as well. And uh, we won't be tremendously goal-oriented. We'll just be learning how to make some of these folds just to learn how to make them. And we'll be able to do it with what everyone has at home. So just a uh, copy paper or text and card weight copy paper and scissors and glue and a few other things. So hope some of you can join us. How wonderful. So all of this makes me realize it's, it's, it's sort of um, extremely novel and miraculous. How does Bibi survive, Simonetta? What, what does Bibi need to survive and how is that working out for you, especially in COVID times? Well, trivial, uh, <laughs> trivial response is money <laughs> um, to that. Uh, no, I think that, I mean, to survive, we have all we need inside ourselves, I think. And uh, I think it's good to close our eyes and remember that and be able to rest in the present as much as we can and know that we, we have what we need to survive. Um, I think that throughout this period the main activity of BV has been the school of non-functional studies because you felt much more aligned with the period and because we can operate online and because it brings us together um at least from my perspective and um i think we're are looking at definitely uh, uh programming shows and um, for the near future but 
I wasn't particularly interested in doing that uh, this year because I think that it was good to sit down and just think about it and not have a room with four people in a mask and a bunch of work on both ends that goes into the preparation of the show. Obviously, I have nothing against current openings or things like that. I'm just from a personal perspective, I know that there is a lot of work that goes into the preparation of a show, especially from the artist's standpoint. And when we prepare a show, we, my goal is entirely to just kind of make it the better, best experience possible for the artist and their art and the visitors. And so I think that to survive, again, uh, the space, is kind of like in this limbo space now because there isn't a lot of traffic there. But um, the trivial answer, I, the trivial answer, I already gave right away. So that, that's one thing that we need to survive. And the other one, I think, we the most important, we have it. But I think it's good to be able to adapt and accepting change because change is part of reality. And I think it was the beautiful part of this whole situation. I think that we've been confronted with like the reality of change has been here in our faces and we try to make certainty of ourselves, but we torture ourselves when we do that. So I think that, uh, um, yeah, I'm not sure. Maybe I'm just going on a rant right now why don't you? <laughs> uh, no, I think it's, I think it's, it's, I think it's clear. And um, I think it's really rich. Is, um, is there anything else that um, any of the artists would, would add, you know, to, to what Simonetta is saying? I mean, in terms of, um, you know, what is essential for creative survival, even suggesting that it isn't a physical space, actually. And that's a fascinating and really important idea to consider. You know, I, th I think something like this is also very value add, Asia. You know, I think I'll speak for myself. I mean, so much about art and showing art and books is about, you know, it's about the conversation, right? It's about, um, ideas um it's about community right um and uh i mean yeah money money makes it all work at the end of the day just you know um but it's it's that it's that support it's that conversation it's um the community and i think right now everybody's sort of looking out for each other to some degree um it's going to be what it's going to take maybe in the next year absolutely well, let's let's pop out of the um, screen share and just into the room for a moment. And I just wanted to invite everybody who's present to, you know, turn on their camera for a second and to acknowledge you and how much we appreciate you being in the room with us. Um, you know, as as listeners and supporters, you're a really critical part of our audience. We're doing this together. And um, at this time, I just especially really want to thank the artists who've joined us, Ben Huff, Susan Cher, and Hollis Mickey, and most especially Simonetta Lozano for the incredible, generous, and sustained work of Divi in Alaska, shaping the landscape in a really important and unique way. Thank you, Asia. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Thank you, Thank you, Thank you Simonetta. Thank you very much. Thank you, everyone. Thanks for coming. Thank you, Simonetta, Asia, Hollis. Mm -hmm. and we'll be back uh 
Next week, um, Holly Nordland speaks about cultural resistance, revitalization, and her present projects, including public art acknowledgement through art, film, and traditional tattoos. 11 a.m. Alaska time next Friday, February 19th. So take care and be well. Stay in touch.